Hi everyone, it's me, Sandy Cruz of Sandy K Nutrition, health and lifestyle queen. For years now, I've been bringing to you conversations about wellness from experts from all over the world, whether it be suggestions in how you can age better, biohacking, alternative wellness, these are conversations to help you live your best life. I want to live a long, healthy, and vibrant life. Never mind all those stigmas that as we reach midlife and beyond, we're just going to shrivel up and die with some horrible disease. Always remember, balanced living works. I really look forward to this season. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Sandy K Nutrition, Health and Lifestyle Queen. Today with me, I have my biohacking bestie joining us, Zora Benamu of Hack My Age. And the entire conversation is about ageism. I actually love this conversation. It was so wonderful. And it is absolutely a topic that hits home for me, because I have two elderly parents. And one of them is 86. One of them is 77. And my mom and dad still live in their own home. I talk about them often, actually, even on my social media, I just really, really look up to them. By the way, go and follow me on Instagram, on Facebook, I have a private Facebook group. I'm also on TikTok. I'm on YouTube. This entire video, the interview will be on YouTube. It is Sandy K Nutrition anywhere and everywhere. So definitely wherever you do social media, go check me out. I would also appreciate it if you could share this episode with anyone who might benefit. I mean, sharing My podcast is probably the best way in addition to rating and reviewing. That's also really, really important so that I could keep getting amazing guests each and every week with amazing topics just for you guys. So ageism, the reason this hits home, you know, we even Zora and I even talk about respect and you know, we may even differ on this opinion that respect is earned. And, you know, I feel that people who are elderly needed to be treated with a little bit more grace and given a little more leeway and compassion. I feel that actually with everyone. And, you know, it it totally depends, obviously, on the situation. But I believe in giving a little bit more leniency to elders. Why? Because they've lived a lot in their lives. And I always feel compassion when you lead the way with compassion. It's the better way. As opposed to you respect me, I respect you. And that's the way it goes. Sometimes that's a very harsh energy. And I feel with elders, we need to be a little softer with them. They deserve it. They've lived a full life and they have a lot of knowledge and wisdom to share. I do feel 
our society is a little too quick to just put them away into a home. And things have really changed a lot as opposed to really honoring our elders, regardless of anything, regardless of respect. I mean, I'm not talking about abuse. That's a different story. I'm talking about, you know, I I look at my dad, for example, and he's had arthritis for many, many years. He is the most vibrant 86-year-old I know, despite the arthritis. But hey, sometimes the arthritis and the pain can be hard on him. And so I give him grace if he's maybe not that chatty and not that respectful and a little bit more tired. And anyway, see, I'm getting all emotional again. What the heck, Sandy? Anyway, this is such an amazing conversation. And Zora is a gerontologist. She is an expert in this area. And I hope that you enjoy this. And I would love to hear any feedback if you would love to share it with me. And now let's cut on through to this amazing interview with Zora Benamu. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Sandy K Nutrition, Health and Lifestyle Queen. Today with me, my special guest is Zora Benamu, and she has been on here before. And her and I are actually biohacking besties. She is a gerontologist a certified sports nutrition coach, a nomad, and the podcast host of the Hack My Age podcast, which focuses on biohacking menopause. She's also the author of the Longevity Master Plan and cookbook, Eating for Longevity. Zora is also a member of the Gerontological Society of America, the American Society on Aging, and the European Menopause and Andropause Society. And today we are going to talk all about ageism. To me, this is a huge topic because I see differences even in how I grew up and how I related to and spoke with my elders, my grandparents, and people who were older. And so I think this is going to be an amazing topic and who better to discuss this with than Zora. So with that, welcome. Thanks, Sandy. I'm I'm so happy to be here. And I'm so glad you chose this topic because it's not discussed enough. And I think when we bring the awareness, uh, it really changes things for everybody and our future selves. Yeah, I think so. And I, I believe, you know, maybe get into your background. Like, how did you get into this? Why gerontology? I never thought I would get into this, but my journey, it's, it's, it's health and wellness. Just to get people understanding what is a gerontologist. This is somebody who studies aging and longevity. And we don't only look at the biological perspective, but we also look at the psychological and the sociological perspectives of aging. And we look at the whole life course from birth to death to try to understand how people are aging, why we're aging, what are the problems that older adults are facing as well. And we also advocate for those unique needs of an older adult. And that can vary, you know, depending on their their race and their gender and their health. So I'm not a geriatric physician. I'm not a doctor. So people very often mix those up. So I didn't set out to 
do this, but I started out in just health and wellness. I'm from LA, right? So yeah, <laughs> it's in my LA DNA is what I often say, because you just live in this society and, and it's all about health and fitness and wellness. And, and that led me on to uh, coaching, health coaching. And, 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 and then eventually I, with the mapping of the human genome, I was like, oh, there's our DNA and we can actually change things um, on, our, on our epigenetics. And it's not, we're not doomed to die of cancer if your mom died of cancer. So that led me into that sort of healthy aging coaching space and biohacking. And then during just pre-pandemic, I was doing a lot of public speaking, traveling as a nomad. And, and when I would travel, I would look for those older populations and try to try to just, just as just my own observational research, try to figure out like how, what they're doing and how can we live a longer, healthier life, uh, learning from these people. And then I would create content from that pandemic hit that I, my wings got clipped. Then we had, I decided, you know, I'm going to do a podcast and I want to study aging and longevity. I want to get certified or a degree or something in this. And I I didn't know what was out there until I found gerontology. And when I dug deeper into it, I was like, this is exactly what I'm looking for. It's almost like a biohacking degree, but, um, (laughs) but more towards the, it's, it's biohacking is more of that uh, op- health optimization. Gerontology is like, let's just get me, get people in that that average middle range because we're so sick. And how can we help help those people? So currently, now I'm 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 a gerontologist and I love this study. I'm a biohacker, and through the podcast and through the the, the content that I create, it's been such a overwhelming demand for menopause. And because I'm 53 and going through menopause myself then I just dove into that. So I kind of merge all three of those things into my content. Yeah, it's beautiful. I love it. And a lot of similarities with us, like we we have an interest here and then we're like, okay, well, what do I need to actually learn more about this? So I love that you went back and got your master's. I you know, I can relate a lot because I was, people thought I was crazy going back to school. I went back to college. It wasn't for a master's degree, but to do what I do now. And they're like 46 years old and you're going back to college. Like, don't you already have your degree? I'm like, yeah, but this is different. So I love that you did that. So let's start with what is ageism? What is it? How can we define that? Okay. It's, it's first coined by an American gerontologist. His name is Robert Butler. And that was done in 1969. So it's been around for a while, but we haven't heard of it. And it means the discrimination the prejudice and the stereotypes that on someone based on their age, young or old. Okay. It's, but in my, in gerontology, we, we talk mostly about an older person. So when you talk about dis- discrimination, that means how we're acting towards an older adult or a younger person, how the, the prejudice is how we feel about that person or that thing. And then the stereotypes are how we think about that mm. and ageism. It, it's really like the worst ism that's out there because it's accepted. People think it's okay to behave and act in certain ways that would be normally totally unacceptable if you put another ism in it. And then when you put in other isms, mix that with, with ageism, say sexism or racism, then there's this sort of compounding effect. And so it's effects are the, the, the consequences are even worse for that person. And, and you may think that, well, 
I'm not ageist or I like my grandparents or I don't mind older adults, but there's a study that was done by the World Health Organization. They took 83,000 people from 57 countries and they, this was done in 20, like through from 2010 to 2014. And they looked at, they asked people questions about how they feel towards adults, elder adults, et cetera. And they found out that every second person in the world is believed to hold ageist attitudes. Mm. One and two. That's, that's a lot. That's huge. Every other person. And you would go, I'm not. But in fact, there are some interesting uh, sort of tests out there online that you can uh, take and they will tell you, are you moderately ageist or low ageist, high ageist? And, and in this study, it was like, wow, it was just pretty much low, medium and high. And, and they found out that, that most people actually are in, the, in the, the medium and the high. But even if you're low ageist, you're like, that's still ageist, right? So yeah. it's, it's pretty scary. And then and what they did find from this study are that the people who had the, were, the, were the, the most ageist came from lower and middle income countries. So like India and, and Nigeria. Hold on. You and said that they were the most ageist? They were the most, which was interesting. Oh, that is interesting. And the least ageist were coming from countries that were had higher income, like Japan, Australia, and Poland are the, the higher ones. But, you know, again, this is just one study, even though there were a lot of people, it's just, there's so little research on ageism. We can't just make these conclusions because, the, you know, we're, we're really going broad. Like we can't say all Japanese people are nice to, you know, to their, to their older adults uh, or all Nigerians are not. And no, it's not because it's so much more complex are, are these attitudes. And, and also when you think about this questionnaire, if somebody would ask you in a questionnaire, like, are you, you know, how, how do you feel about an older adult? You, very often people lie. They're like, they're not going to say, you know, something bad because it's not, that's ex- explicit ageism. They may have implicit or internally, they wouldn't say it. Yeah. But, um, you, you know, you see what I mean? It's, yeah. it's not adequate. It's just not adequate. And they're just, this just means that we need more research. We need better research. So that's, that's sort of what the res- the very, the research that's been done is, is like that. I have already introduced you listeners to Amino Co's Amino Acids. I've done a show, actually a couple of shows, on the importance of amino acids as we age. I've also done a show on fatty liver. This seems to be an ongoing issue for many people in midlife and older. Many automatically assume that, you know, you have to be drinking a lot of alcohol to have fatty liver, but this is not the case. This happens as in non-alcoholic fatty liver to many people. First, I'm going to tell you a little bit about the company Amino Co. Their science is unmatched with over 30 years of experience, over 500 medical research papers published, and over 70,000 times cited by other researchers. Amino Co. has various formulations that are meant to actually help the body in different areas. Last year, I introduced you 
to their life formula. This year, I'm going to introduce you to Purity. Amino Co's Purity is 100% science-backed with clinically proven benefits to help maintain healthy liver fat levels. This formulation protects against liver and kidney oxidative damage using N-acetylcysteine. Many of you might have heard of this. The goal of Purity is to help you maintain a healthy level of liver enzymes for optimal liver function. Now, it's also keto-friendly, soy-free, vegan, gluten-free, and non-GMO, and there are natural flavors available. So if you want to try this out, go to www.aminoco.com forward slash SKN. Use my code SKN for 30% off. That's SKN for Sandy K Nutrition for 30% off. I would think that the the countries that you mentioned would be less ageist. And then, you know, I kind of always look to what I, but I also feel ageism is more acceptable than any of the other isms. It's like it's acceptable saying, oh, whatever, she's old, you know, that's fine. She can't do that. She's old, right? Like that's a horrible comment if you are that person. But it's more acceptable by society to say these things. Yes. And there's a huge consequence to this. So what the research has shown that ageism, like these kind of comments and there's certain behaviors are associated with poor physical and mental health outcomes. They they increase social isolation and loneliness, which we know can be, lead to depression yes. and early death. They're it leads to greater financial insecurity. There's lower quality of life and premature death. So it's a big deal. And, and, and and I'll explain a little bit how that happens because you're like, how does that happen? Right? Because it's because it's so prevalent in our society. We're sort of expecting these things. Yes. There's this. It's expectation. That's it, Zora. There are several different models out there, but the one that 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 I learned the best was called the AIR AIR okay. model, and that means A is for acquisition, I is for internalization, and R is for reinforcement. So what's happening is that when we're young, and I think it's it's literally like the ages of, of five, six, it's we start to form ageist attitudes or positive attitudes towards aging. It depends on what you're seeing in your world. Are your parents treating their parents uh, with love and respect? Are they, uh, is uh, the cartoons that you're watching uh, showing older adults in a positive light? So you're, you're getting all this information through observation, through the media, through society. Think about jokes that people make about older adults or birthday cards. You know, just, this is the acquisition stage. Oh, yes. Then what happens is that you start to internalize these these attitudes. So you are every time someone says a negative comment or something bad happens, this goes into the unconscious mind, this sort of self self stereotype so that by the time you get some maybe 
tired and, and, and maybe you feel uh, aches and your pains in your joints, you go, oh, I must be getting old. Yes. What, yeah. What happens is that some people, not everybody, but you would start to really uh, aqu- behave in these ways that are unnecessary. You start to walk slower or you don't take care of that joint pain or you just go, you know, I'm just getting old. I'm getting tired. You're not going to the root cause. Why am I tired? It's not normal to be tired at certain age, right? Or at any age, right? You can have full of energy at any age. So we just accept, oh, I must be getting older. So you just start to continue on the rest of your life this way, not quote unquote, like hacking your age. And then when you keep behaving this way, you start to reinforce the stereotype into society, which Mm. these negative stereotypes, Mm -hmm. and that's dangerous. And that's what we don't want to do because then our children start saying this and the rest of the society sees this and we think it's okay. It's just normal to get old like this. Mm. And I'm not saying that that doesn't exist in society. Of course, there are plenty of older adults who are, but that's just one choice on the menu, right? We can age in so many different ways. We, we can be full of vitality. We can be playing golf or we can go skydiving or you can write a book or you can learn about computers or you can, you can do anything. Yeah. And so we don't want to have the sort of one cookie cutter mold of what it's like to get old. And, and when we don't take action or we don't, or we just tr- treat older adults in a way uh, that's negative, we're just discriminating against our future selves. And we're just. Yes. I love acceptance of this practice. Yeah. What you just said, we're discriminating, uh, discriminating against our future self. So. If you hear your kid saying, oh, God, mom, you must be getting old because you're getting really slow when it comes to technology, which is something I've heard before. I'm like, I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Careful what you're saying, girl, because, you know, you're talking about your future self. And it's the same thing when I hear I've heard younger women making fun of other women going through menopause. It's like, um, hello, it'll be, it'll be arriving at your doorstep at around 51. So, you know, it's, (laughs) it's like be, be learn now instead of discriminating against, right? So Mm -hmm. I do want to say, there's a lot of different examples of ageism. You brought up a few different ones, but a big one I know where I'm from is healthcare. Yeah. And I think that because you and I focus so much on health, um, it's important to touch on this a little longer because I have personally seen older people, my parents, 86 and 77, and they're still living in their own home. But, you know, they're not without any challenges. But I've also heard physicians say, well, at your age, you know, and and comments like this. And I'm like, wait a second. And I've actually had a little bit of a heated discussion with um, an orthopedic surgeon about my dad. I'm like, why wasn't this blood work done? Why wasn't this done? Why can't you do a full scan? Because he has osteoarthritis. And he looked at me and said, why are you asking me these questions? 
And it was like he was trying to put a stop to that conversation. It was very upsetting for me. I'm really close to my parents. And so what are your thoughts on health and ageist views as it relates to health? There was an interesting study, and I can't remember. I'll I'll pull it out for you. But I remember reading it, and it was looking at who are the most ageist people. In in that big WHO study, it was generally men, younger men, and less educated men from lower lower income countries. Now, there was this study focused only on doctors and nurses and people in that healthcare system. And they actually turned out to be very ageist because they only see sick people. So in their mind, everyone, every older is sick. It's just comes with the job and it's not a true reflection of the rest of society. And so they're trying to change this as well. But yes, there's plenty of research showing that older adults do get treated with less they have lower quality medical care. They are oftentimes undertreated. You know, they're going to die anyways, kind mm. of an attitude. Um, or they're sometimes overtreated or overmedicated. You know, they're not given the same treatment as somebody who's young. And then there's the healthcare rationing, which is horrifying. Oh, explain that, please, what healthcare rationing is, because that's big in Canada, I know. Yes. And it is big kind of everywhere. And that's because, well, especially in societies that have a um, socialist medical care system. And but even the U.S., when you have younger people, what we're doing is putting money in. younger people are putting in money into the system. And then when you retire, your pensions, as well as your medical care, all this stuff is getting used mostly by older adults. Okay, because we're sicker than a younger one. So we're using that. It's not like when you're young, you put the money into the system and and it sits in a bank there until you get older. No, that money is used right away. And the problem we have now is that the population is aging. So there is not enough money. There are not enough younger people to put into the system. So we just don't have enough resources. So what governments need to do is ration the healthcare. Who's going to get what treatment? And that is a big problem. And we don't have a solution in the sense that what's really fair. There's like a lot of ethical committees talking about these things because it's, do you not give someone who is life-saving treatment when they're already 80 because they're only going to die anyways, or this, the outcomes, the, the success rate is much lower than a younger person? Well, I don't think so. I think it's not fair, but that's what people have to do because they say, well, then there won't be enough for all the other people. And it's a, it's a big complex issue. And I think it was in the UK, you're not allowed kidney dialysis over the age of 50 or something like that. I should have done the the research, but I was horrified to hear that. I was like 50, but I'm 50. Maybe we should start (laughs) measuring people by biological age (laughs) instead of chronological age, uh, because I wouldn't want to be denied, but it is a big problem and it's something that all these societies have to look at and deal with. And the best thing that I, I can say right now is just try to stay in, in a, a good condition as possible. We can't rely on the governments to save our lives or save our butt. Make sure you have enough health and make sure you have enough wealth uh, because you'll need money to pay for the treatments that you need. And, and it's a real sad truth. Actually, that's... A great answer. I talk about that all the time because I will hear people say that because, you know, I'm a holistic health practitioner. 
And they'll say, you know, they can't afford it. And I'm like, but, and I don't mean to judge. I'm speaking exactly about what you're saying. Put the money aside for a health care. And when I say care, I'm talking about proactive care budget. So for example, don't put all your eggs and I you know, I'm, I don't know if this is going to offend people, but don't put all your eggs in the government basket because it's not going to suit your needs for proactive care. Those are, there, there's got to be facts around that. Yeah, it's, it's unfortunate. And, the, and we learned in the U.S. that people do think that the government's shuffling money away from them uh, or the taxes that you pay that's actually being held in one little place and that will come back to you. Like we don't think about savings enough yeah. and we're not taught about finances in school. We're not taught about these kinds of things, how to not only save, but also how to make more money. And so that we don't get in these positions and we don't uh, suck all the resources out of the society. We all think that the government should save us and, and, and we do need to, to be a bit more proactive, a bit more aware and, and, and start building that nest egg, like you said, for your health and your health care, as well as invest yeah. in your health now with yes. coaching or buying high quality food or whatever it is that you need a supplement to, instead of medicine later on. I, I, I totally believe in preventative care but we have sick care, right? And that's, you know, you fix it when it's broken. And that's the way our society has been raised. <laughs> I think you're right. I think you're right. Because I mean, back in the day when you, you know, when I'm talking about back in the day, our doctors used to do so much more, right? In terms of even, uh, I remember somebody saying to me, I can't remember the last time my doctor even touched me, like touched me, right? <laughs> so... And back in the day, you would go for full physicals. They would check all your lymph nodes. They would check all, right? Like, I remember for me, my thyroid was never palpitated. And meanwhile, no, I know. And meanwhile, I go after being diagnosed with thyroid cancer, the endocrinologist going, oh, yeah, that's a big one right there. Okay, thank you. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? So, but that was after I was already sick. So I think that's a big thing for people to start doing now. Proactive care and um, creating your own health care budget. Does that make sense for for aging better? The problem, the hard thing is how we all know what we need to do. It's nobody does it. And that's hard because it's not fun or it's not what we want. And part of me kind of goes, well, just grow up, right? You need to take care of yourself like you would a five-year-old. You wouldn't let a five-year-old eat garbage all the time or stay up all night on the computer or phone or, but we're doing that and because it's more fun or we need to get stuff done or whatever. And and I'm not saying that people should be strict, uh, you know, you know, I'm totally obsessed with their health, but I, I do think that we need a little bit more of a balance. And I do think that we can find that balance where we're, we're taking care of our health, but we're not 
not enjoying life. Yes. The pleasures in life are super important. You know, when people talk about drinking wine, uh, that's really good for your health. I don't think it's the wine. It's what we, there's plenty of studies show it's not the wine. It's it, to me, it's that social interaction that counts. When you look at Sardinia and those yes. zones, they are, they are meeting together every day for their glass of wine. It's not the wine. It's the, it's the community. It's the interaction. It's that social support in my mind, as a gerontologist, I look at it, I think that's, that's, that's what I think is, is giving people healthy lives. And so, so I just don't want people to use an excuse. Oh, I'll just drink a bottle of wine every night. Cause it's good for me. It's not no. that simple. Yeah, no, I agree. I think it's way more complex, but we don't need to make it that complex. People make it complex. Like when you say balance, you know, I see a lot of imbalances as we get older, right? And yeah. that can contribute to a poor outcome as how as, in terms of how you age, right? Yeah. So this is why balance is key. Now, speaking of health and ageism, I want to get back to this. Do you think, okay, we all know and we hear this all the time, we're living longer, but we're living sicker. Do you think that that decline in health contributes to ageism? Meaning it makes somebody older, more feeble, more weak. Um, You know, there are a lot more Alzheimer's now than there used to be. So they have to be cared for. Do you think that all of these illnesses of age could contribute to eight more ageism? I think it's I think it's because the population of older adults is bigger than it was ever. Mm. So we are seeing more older adults there. So the probabilities of seeing a sick person who's older is higher. Not to mean that that's all. When you think about frailty, less than 10% of the population of older adults over the age of 65 are frail, but we have this image and that's ageism in our mind that we're all going to be frail or that the number's higher. And so we're scared of that. But I think what we're seeing is definitely if you're, it depends on what you're seeing and what society is feeding into your mind, what you think is aging. So if you, we do have more media, we have more news. Mm -hmm. Do we have more Alzheimer's? Yes. But do, was it diagnosed before? No, we probably died before we actually got Alzheimer's because we were living, uh, we were dying earlier. So now we're seeing sort of all these diseases. And of course, the biggest risk factor for all diseases of aging is age, right? The older you get, the higher the risk is. But that what I'm seeing is if you do see more of these people in the population, then you may have it in your mind that, oh, I've got, this is going to be a bad thing. So then you internalize it and reinforce this into society and you become, you make these more ageist remarks when you see somebody older driving a car poorly and you go, oh, it's just an older person. But the, but the moment you see a younger person driving poorly, and I'm not saying a teenager, but you may go, oh, that's an exception, right? Mm -hmm. This is sort of these stereotypes that we have in our head. 
But I do think, yes, ageism can can increase, but it depends what you're seeing. If you are seeing, we are seeing actually, there was an interesting review that was done on like 25 different empirical studies and from 1982, from the 80s up until 2020, and they looked at the representations of older adults that were in newspapers and, and magazines and things and television advertisements and programs in Europe and North America. And what they found out was that but, uh, like before, until night the 1990s, definitely older adults were underrepresented like they are today, and they were portrayed negatively. But then from the 1990s on, even though they were still underrepresented, there was a shift in those negative stereotypes um, of older adults like being unattractive or unhappy and grumpy or lonely and all this stuff. And they were showing them more active, enjoying life, maintaining a healthy lifestyle. And I I think we're seeing this. We can. It depends on your Instagram feed, for example. If you're kind of liking all those older adults who are doing great things, well, you may start to have an impression that actually it is society is changing and we are having more healthier older adults. And I'm going to choose that on the menu. So it really is kind of what is in your world that will determine your ageist attitudes. Mm, I love that. So really what you're saying too, because I say this all the time, I'm like, follow what inspires you. Don't follow what you maybe find interesting, but it's very uninspiring, right? Like, I'm, you know, you got to really feed the mind what you want to be, right? Yes, yes. There's a saying for that. That makes me think, you know, because the content I'm posting is is you know, trying to share this information and and disrupt those ages stereotypes. And what I see a lot of people doing is is you know we, we're worried about frailty. So we may say, well, frailty is a big deal. We should worry. I mean, we covered this a lot in gerontology, and, uh, and it's because when you have you're frail, you may fall, you may fall, you have a hip fracture, and then you're more likely to die earlier than others. So. We get scared about this and that makes headlines. So you want to make sure people know, like, don't get frail, but maybe I should be posting. Well, actually less than 10% of the population is frail. So, Mm. I mean, it's not that big of a deal. Same thing with Alzheimer's. It's if you, we have this impression, you know, it's like, it's rampant and everybody's going to get it. But in fact, I don't remember the number, but it's a lot less than what we think. I should maybe be posting these kinds of things and say, yes, it's a problem. Okay. But don't be scared. Okay, because you know, just try not to be in that 10%, right? Yeah, but it's it's like what you're saying. There's glass half full versus glass half empty. And we all do this in the wellness space. And the intent behind it is to create awareness. So not to create fear. And really, um, what I am going to say is that no matter what space you live in, in this, you know, journey, you know, we live in the space of wellness. That doesn't mean we're not going to have bumps in the road. So when you have individuals like us saying, hey, here's a potential bump, I don't think it's a negative thing because it's more to say, okay, here's something that could come. It's like we talk a lot about menopause and we talk a lot about the symptoms of menopause. But but then we also like to create um, content to go with that to say, but here's what you can do. Right. So I think that's the key, right? That's the key. Um, do women face more ageism than men? What do you think? 
Yes. Yeah. Well, we we bear the brunt of like multiple forms of discrimination. Okay, because we're we have those other isms, right? We have sexism, so we know that women are are not treated equally in general and that and, and in general and it gets worse outside of say North America right so we we do bear the brunt so because you know partly because of these sort of patriarchal norms and and this preoccupation with youth they you know, are worried that we're going to get older because of media or the world society telling us old is ugly, young is pretty, let's try to be young. There's that so much pressure to dye your hair, to get rid of our wrinkles, and we're targeted by the anti-aging industry. Men don't seem to have this kind of pressure that we have. They they do have the same ageist problems. And and some of the biggest stuff is is actually getting fired early from work or oh, yes. hired for a job. These are big problems because if we're going to be aging better and well, that's what you and I are trying to help people do is live a longer, healthier life. Well, we need more money for that. We need to keep working because there won't be enough funds and social security for us. So we have to keep working and part of working, hopefully, you know, if you like your job or have a type of work that you enjoy, then you probably, it's a really good thing to keep, keep working. It's good for your brain. It's good for the purpose in life. It's good for many other things. So yes, women do have, um, a, they do face more of the brunt of the ageist attitudes. But when we look at, actually, I found some really interesting research that was done in many other parts of the world in terms of like South America, uh, Africa, the Middle East, okay, women are still being accused of witchcraft. And when, and it sounds like it, does, it happens actually enough that you find enough research on this. And, and so when a woman gets older, well, there's the whole witch thing. And then if she, it's even worse if she gets um, widowed. Okay. So oh. we will, they will have this, there's some of these, uh, if you're a witch and you're widowed, well, then you're causing, you must be the reason why there's bad luck in the tribe or why everyone's getting sick or why somebody's dying. So you're going to get the blame. And there's a lot of ostracism that happens with these women. And if you go to the World Health Organization website and you look at ageism, you know, there's study ageism all around the world. And it's really, really sad because some of these sort of there's these cleansing rituals where they they put bans on marriages and and it's horrifying. I mean, I don't want to say it, but it is horrifying where where if you're a widow, well, for sure, you're not going to inherit uh, the home or the house or whatever it is. So unfair. Then they may have terrible cleansing customs where you have to have sexual intercourse with a brother-in-law or another man to remove evil spirits. Uh, you can oh be my God. Burned to death, chained to death. It's, it's shocking. And then this is world health organization information. And, and, wow. and, 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 and I was thinking, Oh, well, it just doesn't happen that much. Kind of does. does enough to make a, uh, a, uh, headlines in the WHO and to have them really try to do something about it. It's not happening, obviously, in our sort of Western world, but in many other parts of the world, which we're not aware of, it does happen. So yes, women are facing more ages. And that's just because they're old and widowed. That is Um, crazy. But actually in the U.S., which is 
interesting. There's another study that the WHO uh, pulled out and they found out that older men get more thorough medical exams. They have more follow-ups and they have more evidence-based medical care and preventative care than women. Oh, interesting. And that's a bit of a shocker. Is that, yeah. is that because of, um, you know, like we talk about this all the time in all these studies that they do, health studies, any of them? Yeah. It's always using men versus women and we are not little men. You know, we everyone says that, right? Like, do you think that might be why? No, I think in these ter- certain studies, they're really just looking at ageism. And and I don't know if it's men versus women. I, I think it's just the older adults. And I mean, when you're talking in WHO type studies. Mm. Um, and, but what's, what's, what's in general, okay, yes, women are facing more of the brunt. We have more issues. It gets worse if you're living in these types of countries. Uh, and it gets worse if you're a minority or if you're from the LGBTQ community, if you're disabled, I mean, you put older person, you know, age on top of that, it's just magnified. Yeah. And it's hard enough getting old, but when you have all these other isms, it's a tough life. And that leads to accelerated aging and an early death. Because of stress? Because Do you think stress? stress? Because yeah. of not getting the right medical yeah. care, yeah. because you're not getting a job, because you you can't, you, it's, you can't afford so your things. lifestyle anymore. You can't afford health extra, supplemental health. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's unfortunate. Now, I think, you know, what you said, I think there, in some regards, so I know quite a few people who have lost their jobs at around, you know, 50 or so, men and women. But maybe the one thing, and I'm just trying to put a positive spin to this, the one thing that's positive is that women, they're considered a minority. So they might keep their job when, you know, if it's a larger corporation, they need more women in more powerful positions, then they can maybe stay a little longer. Whereas men, I've seen it, they make too much money, they're 50 years old, they're time to time to go, right? So, you know, I, I I mean interesting to know, yeah, the stats on that. Yeah. The problem is a woman hits 50. She's part of this sandwich generation. Oh, the totally. Sandwich generation is someone who is taking care of both children still, maybe they're teenagers or young adults, they're at home still, and an older parent. So you have this pressure from both sides and that's why we call it a sandwich. And when the older parents get sick, need to take to the hospital or need to be taken care of, who is expected out of the couple to go and take care of them? Or even if you're not in a couple, uh, just society says the woman, we're the caregivers, we're the caretakers. Most caregivers are females. So what does that mean? Well, we got to Get work part-time now. Maybe we have to quit our jobs. Well, now we can't put any more money into the workforce, into the system. So by the time we reach our pension, well, we don't get as much. And, and we haven't had enough money to be made to save for our own health care. Mm. So this is a big problem. And this, again, is goes back to the burden that women have. So if you're 50 and you can still hold your job because your parents doing good and because, you know, you, you, you are valued at work and people don't want to get rid of you because you're too expensive or not, 
then great. But, um, but still, yeah, there's still a lot of work to be done. Mm. Sounds like it. I mean, the one thing I do want to cover off is we're, we're talking about a lot of these issues. How do we change the narrative? I think you and I are doing a good job of it, right? But we're just two people. There are a few of us in this industry that have a voice. What can someone who's listening to this podcast do to help change the narrative of aging and ageism? The first thing is to be aware. And that's what you and I are doing right now is trying. And if you're still listening to this, good for you because you are now aware. And then the next thing is to recognize it, not only in other people, but in yourself. So do you, when somebody asks, tells you, and this happened to me, you look good for your age. Uh-huh. And I go, oh, thank you. <laughs> I thought that was a compliment until I learned, wait a second. No, why don't you just tell me I look good? Yeah. Because that's just an ageist comment. You expect all 50-year-olds to not look like this. Like we're supposed to look like something or behave like something else. Well, yeah, that exists, but that's not the only thing on the menu. Like I said, we just, we, it, it, that's just our stereotype. So anything that goes out of the stereotype is, oh, it's different. It's, you know, but we need to change that. So do you, so if somebody says something comment to you, just ask, would I like, or before you would say comment to somebody else, would I like to hear that, right? Or you can also replace, oh, you look good for a woman, or you look good for your whatever, cultural ethnicity. You look good. Yeah, I mean, that doesn't make any sense. You would never say that. Yeah. Why would you say it for your age? So just be a little bit more recognizing these things. And if you hear someone else make that comment, you can gently and kindly say, you know what, that was a little bit ageist. Uh, or you should just maybe reframe it this way. Yeah. Do you, the, another thing is you may want to notice yourself if you're talking to an older adult, are you using elder speak, which is that sort of baby talk, like we're going to get dressed right now. Or you, t- or you talk really loud or in simple words and enunciate as if they don't understand you. <laughs> and, <laughs> and that's not necessary. It, 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 it demeans the person. It's embarrassing. And, and you just shouldn't be using that kind of stuff. So try to be a bit aware of those things and uh, don't buy into that. Speaking of buying, don't buy those birthday cards for people that make those jokes about older adults or has images of people in in a negative light because then you're reinforcing oh I'm getting older and I'm going to be like this and it should be that way Mm. we don't need to be doing that there's a lot of that too that's that's huge that's a massive industry on on birthday cards and getting old yeah, and, and it's, I mean, I, I've laughed myself, don't feel yeah. bad. I mean, that's that's just, the, you know, like, that's funny, you know, but at the same time, be aware and, and maybe not buy that one, but there are other jokes that can be made. And I don't want to make everyone so PC because that also, you know, if we can't laugh, well, that's a problem too. So we need, again, it's that that balance, you know, just to be aware and not always just keep, keep reinforcing this into society. Yeah. But I think... I think some 
some things that that other things that we can do is also to try to be inclusive of older adults in our life uh, that hopefully bring you joy and happiness and all that. So you want to work together. This is called intergenerational um, activities, for example, or include there was a friend of mine who I was visiting in the, in LA and uh, she was telling about her mom and how she's you know taking care of her. And so I, I said, let's, let's meet with her. Like, let's go to lunch and like, bring her along. And she's like, no, I couldn't, like, I couldn't do that. Like, she's just going to bore you. She's like, an, she's an old, she's older. And, and I said, you, you know, I'm a gerontologist and I really love people like that. Like it was her first reaction was, she's older, we won't bring her in. Oh. And, and I thought, no, we, we need to bring these people into our lives. Or if you are at work or you want to, your, your dad, or you, I don't know, you want him to start working out, go to the gym together with your dad or try to do things together uh, that would be inclusive of getting older people and younger people, maybe, maybe grandkids or younger kids, to yeah. just bring in that more interaction. And, and that's that. what government policy is, is also trying to do and creating volunteer groups and getting teachers because older adults are great teachers. Yes. And they have a lot of experience. And younger kids, if you can pair that older adult with a younger person in the right way with the same interests, I mean, you don't want to have some some uh your, your grandpa who's a marketing whiz get together with an artist and try to get them to do something together they may not gel but if you have a, a sculptor who's got a lot of experience and wisdom together with that art student wow what a what a beautiful combination that would be to 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 learn from each other so not only older adults teaching some of the younger adults but the younger ones can also teach the older people about life and, and things yes. too I love that. I think that's a big piece that we still didn't hit and touch on yet would be the wisdom of our elders and, you know, to actually accept whatever it is that like my dad is, he's done everything, right? Like he's lived through a war, he's lived through a lot. And the other day, my dad and my son, it was my son's birthday, they both just had their feet in the pool, just the two of them talking, you know, 22 and 86. And I just kind of sat back and watched and listened. And I listened to that interaction and it's a beautiful thing. And so one of the things that I say as a parent is I teach my kids to respect their elders. They're not just, you know, whatever, old people who are uh, no use to society and have nothing to offer. And my kids grew up that way. And I watch it and I watch the interaction. I watch how my kids interact with older people. And I'm proud of that because that I know came from me and my husband. And so I think if you can, as a parent, and you're going to laugh at this one, Zora, um, you know, when we were growing up, you would always refer to your friend's parents as Mrs. So-and-so or Mr. So-and-so, right? And my kids, their friends come over and they call me Sandy. And they attempt to call my husband by his first name. He corrects them and says, uh-uh, it's Mr. to you. And I find that really funny. But, you know, I think a lot of these teachings 
can come from us with our youth, with our, our, our children, I should say. Yeah, definitely. How you treat your parents is teaching your kids about something. When it comes to respect, I, I have a little bit of a different take because I don't think age should grant you a free pass to respect without any question. I think any kind of bad behavior or attitudes, no matter how old you are, doesn't deserve any respect. I agree with that. I align with that. You know, you don't yeah, give so respect think, to anybody who's an asshole. It doesn't matter yeah. how old you are. I agree with that. Yeah. So, I mean, it is, I mean, we, we do, I want people to, I teach my kids just respect everyone and treat everyone fairly. I like Listen that. to them, learn from them, no matter what their age is, but to use their voice if they're not treated fairly. Sure. They may lose that respect no matter how old that person is either. So, you know, that's the the thing is, I think when we sort of immediately give someone that grant them sort of respect because of their age, it really takes away that weight, that respect holds. So, so when you say respect your elders, it's really demanded, you know, like from your parents or something at a young age. And it makes it really hard for somebody who's young to make that differentiation with who really deserves their respect and who doesn't. It's just like, okay, do whatever. And no matter if they're mean or no, no, I agree. I, I don't want that. No, I agree with that. I agree with that. All right. So maybe the one thing I do want to touch on is um, aesthetics. So there's a big movement now with women, you know, the gray hair movement. And, um, you know, look at models like Paulina Poroskova. She doesn't do any... Botox or filler or plastic surgery. I know she does a lot of treatments for her skin to keep her skin looking good, but she wants to age gracefully. I personally think this is great. I feel women especially have a tough time with this um, because you see women aging very differently, right? But, um, you know, personally, I feel everyone should age the way they want. And, you know, I've heard people comment about Madonna and how awful she looks. I'm like, well, it's what she wants to do. Like, who cares? You know, Madonna's Madonna. That's her personality. It always has been to be more, you know, on the edge. So she's still doing it. So great for her. What are your thoughts on this? I think women in their fifties or going through menopause or forties, fifties, the sort of transition in life is really hard. And that pressure on society to look young is very strong because we see that we're not young anymore, but we're not old. So we're not quite, (laughs) we're hanging on to our, our youth because that's what we we grew up with, we've always been youthful looking and now what's happening. And so it's a bit of a shocker in that sense. And it's also pressured by society. I think that I've succumbed to this. I like want to be the best version of myself and I'll try Botox. Me too. And I'll eventually try a bunch of things. Uh, But that's my choice. And I don't want to, like you, it's, 
it's none of my business what other people do. And I just want them to be the best version of themselves. Now, Paulina Porskova doesn't do Botox and she's aging gracefully, but she takes very good damn care of herself. Yeah, she like does. She's, she's training and she's eating right and she's trying to get her sleep. And, you know, there's a lot of stuff and she has her hair quaffed. And, you know, even though it's, it doesn't, it doesn't mean letting yourself go. Yes. It, I don't think there's any age you really should let yourself go. We want to have generally, and most of us want to be healthy and be independent. And so that means a lot of self-care. Now, how extreme you take that is up to you and, and none of our business, but it is hard. And I'm, I'm part of this as well because I'm in my 50s and I'm in that in-between stage and I have I have a feeling like if the best thing for me would just not care and just say, you know what, I, I, I would save a lot of money and time if I didn't care as much, but I still want to care to be the best version of myself. And, and it is again, for me, it's balanced because it's balanced on how much are you willing to time and money are you willing to put into the way you look? And it is different for everybody. But I think nowadays to compare to our mother's, there weren't that many options. Nobody mm-hmm. was doing Botox then. Nobody was doing fillers or all these medical aesthetics didn't exist back then. Right. So you just aged, you know, and gosh, that must have been a lot easier. You know, the only thing you had to do if you wanted to was maybe dye your hair. But, you know, it's like it was seemed to be a lot simpler. But now we have so much going on and every person needs to make that decision where they want to be and own it. And no matter what people say in either direction, though, that's, that's my opinion. Yeah. I align with that opinion too, because I've actually caught myself in the past saying things that see, people don't really realize this when there's, it's almost like that whole ageist remark. People don't realize that when someone says comments like, oh, she's had some work done, it's derogatory, right? Because you're not saying, oh, she looks great. You're saying, oh, yeah, she's had some work done. And I've actually had people say that to me. And um, it's not from a kind place. You get what I mean? It's not from a supportive place. And being on TikTok, you know, God, like I've heard pretty much everything. Um and I just think that it's important, in my opinion, that women, like, I, I don't see you, if you look better, I don't see you as someone competing against me. Oh, we're both 53. Oh, my God, I have to look better than Zora. And and I think this whole weird competition thing between women comes into play here, where it's just like, who cares what you're doing? You look fabulous. You look amazing. Like. I don't care. Yeah, it makes people feel better to bring you down. I think that's it. And so, you know, I do my best to just, you know, take women for whatever they want to do. And I think society is becoming a little bit more um, accepting of whatever a woman chooses to do, how she wants to age. I think people are becoming more accepting. I think, I think people, I think ever since the beginning of time, there's always been this struggle and a jealousy or uh, bringing people down or whatever. It just, 
the problem is, is we have to not give a fuck anymore what people think. Yeah. And that's really hard because if I really didn't, then I wouldn't do Botox. But here I am going, oh, I just do baby Botox. Like, because yeah. I feel bad because, <laughs> I, you know, I think society has said that's not natural or that's whatever. And I still care, unfortunately. And that's why I use those words. But I really <laughs> should just say whatever this is what I can afford today and this is what I'm going to do and let's see what happens tomorrow yeah I, I'm just thinking wow it'll be great if one day I could really just let all that stuff go and and uh <laughs> just save time and money but but still be the best version of myself that's yeah. that's all I want to be yeah because you know it's so funny because I'll look at you know even Kevin Costner I can pretty much guarantee he doesn't do anything but he's still hot as hell in my books. So there you go. Yeah. Right. Well, society has decided that for men, you know, the silver look is good for women. It's not so good. And I, I hope that changes. Yeah. And, it, and I do see women rocking their gray hair. And when I do see wonderful women with gray hair, wrinkles, all the whole thing, they are have beautiful hair it's not like it's all straggling all over the place like they take care of the hair it doesn't matter what color it is they just are that way or they're they have wrinkles they still look like they have um healthy skin yes right it's that's that's for me important and i i like that and that's what i hope society can at least women it's your own problem how you think of what other people think of you and the pressure that they put on you they you are allowing them to put that pressure on you Mm -hmm. so we can't blame anyone else that's my general opinion it is it sucks it's there but the best way to combat that is to what what are you putting in your head to to deal with that Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. all right well this has been a great conversation is there anything that we missed that we didn't cover off um, well, just, I think one other last thing I, I think would help with a little bit of ageism, especially for, for women. And we are talking to a large women audience here is, is to, to find ways to be empowered on how you age and that will help you get through this whole thing called life. And I would like them to, whatever it is to empower themselves, like you said, you know, may f- fill your feed with positive uh, things to look at and to listen to, uh, things that align with whatever it is that you believe in, and and life will be will be a lot easier. And stand up for yourself. Don't let people push you around because you're a woman or because you're older. Mm. If you hear other people making comments or or treating you badly, or or if someone didn't hire you or someone you know will make a complaint because of the age, because then, then you can complain about, make a complaint, make a change, uh, put stuff out there in the world that brings awareness to this ageism word that nobody really knows about, but accepts both mm-hmm. internally and externally. So it would be really nice because when we do make a change in society to bring down ageism, then people are healthier the governments have more money <laughs> to deal with and you, you you have less risk of all kinds of diseases or depression or loneliness, social isolation. Just the world is such a better place when we can bring down that ageist stereotype. So mm. disrupt that. Yeah, I love that. I'm going to add to that. And if you are an older adult, 
listening to this, or if you have parents who are older and they have medical issues, please advocate for them or learn how to advocate for yourself. And the reason I have to bring this up is because I think a lot of, you know, older adults have been taught, and and this actually goes back to what you just said a while ago about respect. They were taught that if somebody is in a position of power, right, like a physician who has control over your health, that you need to respect them. And you're not supposed to Mm -hmm. say anything. And I think this is a good way to just to bring that full circle, right? So I would like to just say, if it relates to your health, you, you need to learn how to advocate for yourself or bring somebody with you who can advocate for you when it comes to anything relating to your health. Because one of the ways that I do see probably some of the biggest gaslighting situations or um, ageist situations are in healthcare with our physicians. Absolutely. So there's, there's research backing that up. So uh, that's such a great message, Sandy. And that is one huge way to combat ageism as well is, is have someone there be their advocate for yourself. And eventually with time, you, you learn how to do it on your own. Yeah. Yeah. And that it's okay to advocate for yourself because anybody knows me, they know I'm like the biggest health advocate. I just believe that we must speak our truth as it relates to how we're feeling and what we're feeling. So I definitely didn't want to, that was actually a really good way to go full circle on that. But um, tell us how we can find you, how we can get in touch with you, Zora. Just hack my age. Hack my age is on my Facebook, my Twitter, my Instagram, my website, hackmyage.com. And those are probably the best ways to, to find me. Perfect. Thank you so much. I loved our chat today, Zora. Thank you for having me. And I'll see you on Facebook in our Zoom meetings. Yes. On weekly Wednesdays. Every Wednesday, 9.30 a.m. Eastern. Biohacking Women 50. That's the Facebook handle. Name. Yes. And I'll have all of this in the show notes in the description. Thank you. Thanks. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Be sure to share it with someone you know might benefit. And always remember, when you rate, review, subscribe, you help to support my content and help me to keep going and bringing these conversations to you each and every week. Join me next week for a new topic, new guest, new exciting conversations to help you live your best life.